Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. Amen. All right. That's kind of a tall order, you know. Go ahead. We're going to excuse the... Yeah. Yes, I hereby okay. dismiss the kids. There you go. So our kids and our students are, are dismissed. All right, yes, I was saying, it's a, it's a tall order to speak truth in a way that will change lives, but thankfully, it's not my truth, and these aren't my words. These are God's words, and so I hope that uh, they will, in fact, change lives and, and allow us to, to grow closer to our Father and closer to one another. Uh, you may wonder, then, why Jim is not the one sitting here before you or standing or pacing or... You know, however he does it. Um, he, as it happens, you guys might not know this about him, but he likes to go hunting from time to time. And uh, it just so happens that this is uh, the first weekend of his deer hunt. And so he went up there on Thursday, and he hunted on Friday, and said that he didn't see any deer, but he saw some bears. So, um, so there's bears up there. I don't think he's going to shoot one of those. Hopefully uh, he won't come too close to those. But... Anyway, so he's up there right now, and then keep him in your prayers as well as we worship the Lord together. Um, I'm going to talk to you about a, a person. I heard the story of Daniel Solomon in a podcast. Uh, it's called This American Life. Uh, it has some interesting stories in it, so uh, I'm not advocating that you go listen to it, but this story in particular was very interesting and very moving, and so I'm going to tell you a little bit about it this morning. Daniel Solomon remembers looking out the window of his Romanian orphanage, and he could see the lights of the city in the distance. He could see the lights of cars driving around, but he was in the orphanage. He was stuck behind a window pane, and he had never been outside of the orphanage. He didn't even really think about life outside of his orphanage. He just saw things going on, and he just sort of thought, hmm. There's stuff out there. Oh, well. Um, he lived in this orphanage until he was seven and a half. He recalls nameless adults who would carry out the necessities of feeding and cleaning him and the other orphans. But he didn't ever wonder about where he had come from or about parents. He later said, It's like a kid who never eats chocolate doesn't know what chocolate tastes like. I didn't know what a family was, and... I don't think I really thought about it at all. This was his life until he was seven and a half. Enter Heidi and Rick Solomon, who felt a calling to go abroad and adopt a child, to bring a child into their family. And it turned out that this child would be Daniel. Their first meeting was in the courtyard of the orphanage, and Heidi and Rick then took Daniel out of that place rescued him from this place and took him back to Ohio. Now, you know, it's, it's better than Romania, but uh, yeah. Um, so he, they didn't come to Arizona, but they came to Ohio. So they rescued him from this place in Romania and took him back to their home. And he became their child. They adopted him. And for a few months, things went well. Things were okay. In spite of some expected tantrums, um, outbursts, things you might expect from any kid, really. But then some things started to happen 
that they didn't expect. And it occurred when they were celebrating Daniel's eighth birthday. And you might think, an eighth birthday, that's, that's a good thing. That's a memorable moment. But for Daniel, something changed. This was the signal to him that he had been born and that he had parents that had left him in the orphanage for seven and a half years. And he didn't really grasp the fact that the parents that he was with now were not those parents who had dropped him off for over seven years. And he began to have a growing resentment and anger and hatred at Heidi and Rick. He became physically violent. He threw things, anything that was not nailed down in his room, he threw. He would hit and bite and scratch. Uh, There were over a thousand holes in the walls of his room from things that he had thrown trying to express his anger and his lostness, not knowing the truth about where he came from or where he was. Heidi and Rick continued to expend themselves in extraordinary ways to express love to Daniel and to try and rehabilitate his lack of attachment, his lack of an ability to even form relationships with other people. They kept pursuing Daniel, even though he was fighting them along the whole way. So, hold that thought. I'm going to keep you on the edge of your seat there for a little while. Um, We'll get back to Daniel's story, and I want to take a look at the passage in 1 John. And I want to sit here in this chair and, and sort of think about how John might have said, little children, little children, and that's you. <laughs> um, last week, Jim taught about uh, the first section or the second section of First John chapter 3. And the last verse in that passage is this. Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. I was thinking we might even go so far as to say, if we aren't demonstrating love in deed and truth, perhaps it's not even really love. Perhaps that's the hallmark of love, loving in deed and in truth. So that's a good one. Keep that in mind, loving in deed and in truth. Let's look at the passage for this week. 1 John 3, verses 19 through 24. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. I lucked out with this passage. This was something that Jim said, hey, could you preach in October? Here's what you'll here's what you'll do. And I love this. I love this passage. And I love, in particular, this term. And and it's in that very first verse, verse 19. By this we shall know we are of the truth. I like that term, of the truth. What does it mean to be of the truth? What do you think it means to be of the truth? 
um, I want to explore that a little bit. John paints it as a positive thing to be of the truth, right? He, he wants us to want to be of the truth. He wants us to know that we're of the truth. And then he says that being of the truth can reassure us before God. John is saying that we will have moments where we need that reassurance. And I know that I need it myself. Not infrequently. We all do. So how is it that we can know that we are of the truth? Well, let's take a word, uh, take a word study or take a look at the word truth, which I love to do too. Some of you may know this about me. I like words. Um, let's look at the word truth. Truth is from Germanic languages, Old English, Saxon, Proto-Germanic, from a root word triu, or there's a whole bunch of other words with Z's and the thorns and the weird uh, symbols that are in some of those uh, old Germanic languages. Um, it actually goes back to Sanskrit and Proto-Indo-European languages, the, the root word deru or dru, which means solid, firm, or steadfast, even actually meaning made of wood, hard like wood, durable like wood. Truth is something that is durable. It's something that doesn't change. It's not whimsical. It doesn't, it doesn't move around a lot. It, it is solid. It's sure. It's durable. But if you look at the scriptural passage, and if you look at the original language that was translated to the word truth, we'll see that the Greek word is actually aletheia, which is a beautiful word. It's a, it's a name. There's, it's a, a, a girl's name. And it means truth. That's what we translate it as. Um, in the Greek, it is actually, it's not a compound word, but it's a root plus a, a prefix. And the A means without or not having. And lethe means concealment or hiddenness, oblivion or forgetfulness. So you put that together, the word aletheia means not concealed or not hidden, something that is apparent, something that is visible. I would say in English, a good translation for that might be transparent, something that would be authentic, real, not concealed. Um, I, I like to have that basis when we look at these words, and I have found that to be really interesting, that truth is something that is not concealed. Truth is something that is durable. Truth is something that um, that is lasting. Truth is important. John himself spends a lot of time talking to us about truth. If you do just a simple word search in your Bible, you will find a lot of instances of the word truth, and in particular in the book of John. So I'll tell you a few of those, and they're great. They're, they're familiar passages to some of us. Um, in John 1, Jesus came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Again in John 1, grace and truth came through Jesus. In John 4, talking to the woman at the well, John says, worship God in spirit and in truth. In John 8, he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. In John 14, this may be the, the real key one uh, for, for some of us here, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. John 16, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
And then John 17. Sanctify them. Jesus is praying for us, right? He's praying for us. And he says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. What a great thing. And, and to know what truth is, something that's there, that's durable, that God has made, has created, and that Jesus actually is this truth. It's a great fundamental principle and something we need to, to grasp onto. I want to look at one more instance of John's in his gospel. Uh, and again, some of you may, this is a favorite of mine as well. John 18, when Jesus is before Pilate. And Pilate says, so you're a king then, right? Why are you here? And Jesus says, here's why I'm here. For this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Interesting that it says, that Jesus says, of the truth. Just like John says later on in 1 John. Who is of the truth? Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It's a great connection there between the gospel and the, the letter from John. Do you know how Pilate responded to that? What is truth? I picture him being sort of scoffing. Like, ugh, what is truth? What is truth? He didn't have a really strong sense of the importance of truth. He didn't really grasp the enduring nature of truth. He didn't really grasp the fact that he was standing in front of truth right then, right at that time. Another interesting thing about the difference between what Jesus says and what Pilate says is when Jesus is talking about truth, he says, the truth, the truth, a definite article. There is a truth that he's talking about, and Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth in general? It's almost like he doesn't believe that there is such a thing, which a lot of people nowadays have that same sort of sense. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. I, I want us to focus in on that. We know that when we are listening to Christ's voice, that is a hallmark of those who are of the truth. We're listening to the truth. And ultimately, that is something we need to do. We need to be tuned into the truth. We need to be listening to the truth. We need to understand the truth. We need to respond to the truth and discard the deception, discard the lies, discard the, the falsehoods. And that brings us to our bottom line for today, and it's, it's in your, your paper, in your notes. And it's something that gives us a sense of where to put our trust when things are uncertain, when we're not sure of what the truth is. And here it is. The truest thing about you is what God says is true about you, for better or for worse. The truest thing about you is what God says is true about you, for better or for worse. This is truth. God tells us what it is. Sometimes he tells us that we don't live up to his standard, but then he also turns around and says, but I've taken care of that. I've paid a price for you, and I want you to come to me. That's the better for worse part. So do we trust God? Do we trust his truth? Do we believe that the adoptive father 
who reached out to us in the place where we were and brought us into himself, brought us into his family? Do we trust him? Do we understand this amazing gift of adoption into the family of God? That's a truth, but we often don't grasp it. Too often we're listening to lies, deceptions. We have trouble discerning what is true and what is false, and we listen to things that are not from God, and we even fight against God, struggle against God, deny the truth. The world does not listen to truth. The world obscures and hides the truth. Romans 1.18 is an example of this. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. The world doesn't know God. They were born into a place where they they didn't know what was going on. It was like they had never tasted chocolate before, so they didn't know what they were missing. And God wants us to come to him. He wants us to be in his family, and so he has made a way to do that. The problem is that we often don't tell ourselves the truth. Not only does the world obscure the truth, but we do that to ourselves. We actually seek falsehoods. We seek things that are not true because sometimes the truth is hard to face. Sometimes it's a hard thing to deal with. And so what do we do? Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things, desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Our own hearts are not good judges of truth, but God is. And that brings us to our first point. Our hearts are not reliable and consistent sources of truth. Our hearts are not reliable and consistent sources of truth. We're surrounded by a society that is more interested in appearances, in success, wealth, power, likes, (laughs) any number of things. They pursue those things because they don't know what it is that they were created to be. Um, They pursue these things that are not worthwhile, that are not lasting, that are not durable, that are not truth. And the result is that many of these people in our world, some of them you would call influencers, some of them are just normal people from day to day that you run into, they have crises of self-doubt, they struggle with depression, or they simply pursue false and temporal goals. That's not truth. People in today's society are desperately seeking reassurance that they are okay, just as they are, that they are loved and valued, but instead of pursuing truth, 
They look for validation in the number of followers they have. They look for validation from their friends or from their romantic interest or success at their job. And their hearts tell them things like, if only I can achieve this, then I'll know that I'm worthwhile. Then I'll know that I'm worth something. Then I'll know that I've made it. But that's not truth. Our society is consumed with anxiety and depression, misinformation and deception. Our culture tells us to pursue self-actualization and pleasure, anything to convince ourselves that we are valuable, that if only I would change the kind of person that I am, then I would feel like the real me. But that's not truth. It's a deception. The problem is people find this out after they've pursued these things and they're left with nothing. They don't have truth. They're less fulfilled than when they started. There are two ways in which our hearts deceive us. Now let's look at us here in the church. Hopefully we're not as easily deceived as the world. Sometimes we are. But there are ways in which our hearts deceive us. One is that our hearts tell us that we're worse than we are, that we're no good, that God doesn't care about us, that we can't live up to his standard, that why would anyone want to have a relationship with us? Why would anyone want to reach out to us? We're driven to negative thoughts. We take downward spirals of depression and hopelessness. But what is the truth? That we are so valuable that Jesus paid the ultimate price to redeem us and to save us from the sickness and sin in the world. We are so valuable. We have been chosen and adopted into the family of God, not because we did something to earn it, but because he saw us in our state and he reached out to us and pulled us out. He saw us and he acted with love in deed and truth. Another way we are deceived by our own hearts is sometimes they tell us we're better than we are. Sometimes we get the feeling like we're, we're pretty good, like we've made it. That we're righteous. Maybe that God is lucky to have somebody like me. But the truth is that we're in God's family only because of Jesus. That the things that we do are worthless apart from him and apart from our faith in him. We are saved by grace through faith and not from the things that we have done so that none of us can boast. This is the truth. God saved us through grace and Paul gives us this admonition in Romans 12, 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Focus on the truth on who we are in Christ. We're fallen, but he saw us as so valuable that he paid the price to save us. That's the truth. That brings us to our next point. When we are living in his truth, we have confidence before God. When we're living in his truth, we have confidence before God. In verse 21, John writes, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. That's a, that's a pretty good thing. It's good to have confidence in God. But 
on the other hand, didn't we just talk about not getting too big ahead, not, not having our hearts deceive us, and, and that our hearts are deceitful? It's true that, that that is the passage just before this, but when we are abiding in him, when we are obeying him, when we are looking at our position with sober judgment, and when we are living in the truth, we do have confidence in him. Uh, consider a healthy family relationship. Uh, do you need to do lots of chores to stay in the family? And if you miss a chore, does that mean you're out? I hope not. I hope not. Maybe, maybe there's some different family kind of methodologies here. But ultimately, there are things that we do as part of the family, that we do because we belong to the family. But if we miss those things or if we don't do those things, that doesn't mean we're not part of the family. We're still part of that family. Um, I have another example. I, I know a guy, and he said, he told me this, he said, my wife asked me if I realized that she feels like I'm not listening to her when she asks me to do something, like take out the trash, maybe, take out the trash, <laughs> and I just ignore her. She feels hurt and kind of rejected, like I don't value her, and so I took out the trash. But the point is this, that the demonstration of love is not the thing which makes the relationship uh, effective. It is a thing that expresses the love and the commitment to the relationship. And for us in the church, for us who are followers of Christ, we want to do things that are pleasing to him. We want to obey his commandments, not because it will get us salvation, but because it will express our love for him, our commitment to him, and our love for one another. That's part of having confidence and fellowship in Christ. We do what pleases him, and that's living in the truth. Let's go down to verse 24, because it has another indicator of truth that I want to focus in on. Um, one thing that I, I like this particular phrase, and you'll see it several times in the verses behind where we are and then the verses ahead of where we are. Don't go ahead. Well, I mean, you can go ahead, but um, it's this phrase. By this we know. By this we know. We saw it in verse 19. Now we see it in, in verse 24, and we'll see it again next week. By this we know. So verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. The spirit, this is a great thing. We have the Holy Spirit that Jesus gave us for a purpose. And this is a great thing. That is the last point, the fill in the blanks. The Holy Spirit is given to us as our comforter to reinforce the truth. The Holy Spirit is given to us as our comforter to reinforce the truth. Having the Holy Spirit is a mark of those who are of the truth. When we enter the family of God, we receive the Holy Spirit as an indicator that sets us apart from the spirit of the world. Those who are in the world or of the world 
they don't get it. They've lived in the world. They've lived in this separate place, almost as if through a pane of glass. They see things going on, but they don't have the same sense of truth, of right, of relationship, of selflessness. That's what the Holy Spirit gives us. That's part of it. The Holy Spirit is a comforter. He's a rehabilitator, bringing us from a state of oblivion, a state of spiritual deadness, to a state of fellowship and living in truth. Let's look at some more examples of the Spirit. Romans 8, 26 and 27. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Groanings too deep for words, I think that that is an amazing thing. I, I, I don't, I, I don't know, I don't picture the Holy Spirit praying like in English or something like that, right? He's, he's so moved. He loves us so much. He's just mm, crying out, groanings too deep for words. And he does this for us. He intercedes for us. He's a go-between. And he knows what we need even when we don't know it ourselves. Even when our hearts are deceiving us, he knows what we need. He knows what is truth. Jesus says some more about the Spirit in John 16. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. There are a couple of things in that passage that I find interesting. Um, I have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. What are, what are the things? What are the things that the disciples could not bear? Well, Jesus is leaving, right? That was hard to bear. He was going to be killed. That's hard to bear. Um, there are things in our own lives, things that are true, that are hard to bear. And sometimes it takes a wise, benevolent, infinitely knowledgeable Holy Spirit to reveal these things to us in a way that doesn't just flatten us because we're so distraught, we're so, um, we're caused so much pain to have to look at our own fallenness and the, the things that we have to struggle with. That's hard to bear. Truth is often difficult and we can't have it all dropped on us at once. But the Holy Spirit knows what we can bear. He knows what we need. He knows what we can handle. And he declares it to us in a way that is perfect. That means he sometimes has to take us to some hard places, some dark places, areas of our lives that we don't want to go. We don't want to let other people there. We don't want to go there ourselves. But that's part of addressing truth and addressing what we need to address in order to follow Christ. But the Holy Spirit guides us through those things, declaring the truth, and he's willing to do it so that we can understand what it is to abide in him, to be of the truth, and to be a part of the family of God. So what does this mean for us? What do we do with this passage, with these verses? I've got four things I want to challenge you with 
as you go about your week. The first one is remember that the truest thing about you is what God says is true about you. If you start to doubt yourself or if you start to think you're not worth it, remember that Jesus gave his life for you. Jesus went to the cross for you. And that's an amazing thing. And that's truth. The truest thing about you is what God says is true about you. He says, you are my little children. The second thing, love one another in deed and in truth. Don't just say it. Do things that are real, maybe even costly, but genuine. Don't do it so you can say you did it. Maybe you do it anonymously. Maybe there are things you could do that are deed and truth that you've been holding out on. Do those things. Love one another in deed and in truth. Seek comfort, guidance, and truth from the Holy Spirit because that's what he's there for. When you have an opportunity, meditate on God's word and seek the Spirit in guidance, knowing that the Spirit of God will not contradict God's word. We'll talk a little bit about that next week and in the following passages. But the Holy Spirit wants us to know. He wants to reveal truth to us. He wants to guide us. That's what he does. And then the last thing, have confidence before God. Know that God is tough but true. Be real and truthful before him because he knows everything already. Well, let's, uh, let's go back to Ohio. <laughs> Heidi and Rick Solomon had to do something to get Daniel under control. They consulted experts. They worked through therapists. And eventually they went through some therapy that involved them redoing, reenacting portions of the childhood that Daniel had missed being in the orphanage. Heidi and Rick would hold Daniel on their laps, cradle him, even though he was a big kid by this time, they'd cradle him, look into his eyes like a mother and a newborn would do. Other times they would just talk about things and try and, and understand where's the anger coming from. What's happening? What are you thinking about, Daniel? And then other times, they would hold Daniel and feed him ice cream, which was kind of, it helped. He would sit there and, you know, when someone's feeding you ice cream, you can't complain too much. So. Um, he still resisted, but when he did resist, when he would push back, the consequence that they gave him was a, a time in, which was he had to sit on the couch with Heidi, with her hugging him, so after a few times of pushing her off and saying, no, that's more hugging, more hugging, he's like, okay, fine, I'll do it, I'll do it. And over the course of some weeks, things began to change. Things began to change. Daniel says he actually came to understand, maybe for the first time, that his mother loved him. There were other episodes, other behavioral issues, things like stealing, um, but the violence and the hatred and the outbursts went away. And they continued to work with Daniel on other things. The interviewer who was talking to Heidi says this about her. Heidi is an unusually pragmatic person. She's fundamentally realistic, tough-minded, and these are precisely the characteristics that are needed in this situation. If you're the kind of person who actually needs love, really needs love, 
chances are you're not the kind of person who's going to have the wherewithal to create it. Creating love is not for the soft and sentimental among us. Love is tough business. But thankfully, God doesn't need our love. We need his love, and he created it, and he gives it out freely. He's not soft or sentimental. He loves us with a love that exudes toughness and commitment. A few verses back in chapter 3, John expresses awe for this type of love. John 3, 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. And so we are. And that's the truth. Let's pray. Father, it's our honor to call you Father. We thank you that you reached out and pulled us out of the situation that we were in and you brought us to yourself. Jesus, we thank you for making the sacrifice that you have made for us. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you testify to the truth, that you reinforce the truth in us from day to day. May we represent you well as your children. Amen. Thank you for listening to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We'd love to have you join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. You can find out more about us at journeyefc.org.